episode 46 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to figure out what action to take when the player deck is going to run out before your next turn in Pandemic. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about cooperative games. Wait, really? We haven't had an episode about co-ops yet? This is long overdue. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like 18CLE and Keeper. Then, we talk about the phenomenon that is cooperative games. And finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word cooperation. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. Before we get into our recently played games, we wanted to remind everyone that tomorrow as of the date of this episode releasing is blitzcon yay and uh we're super excited because (laughs) it is our second annual event Mm -hmm. it is our tiny little convention in the bay area for 100 people and we're gonna play board games for four days straight and it's going to be awesome yes it'll be a lot of fun we have so many games to play So I imagine many of the people who will be attending might not hear this episode until after the fact, but if you happen to be in the Bay Area and a fan of us and yet not aware of BlitzCon, you should come to BlitzCon. (laughs) Go to to BoardGameBlitz.com slash con and grab yourself a ticket and come join us. It's going to be a lot of fun and it is probably your best opportunity to all but guarantee to get to play games with both Ambi and myself. Because at the other conventions, it's a little harder to coordinate things. And this is small. So, Mm -hmm. and you're going to teach me probably a couple of your games that you really like. I think we might play, we've discussed possibly playing Dungeon Pets. Oh yeah, Dungeon Pets. And Strike. We're going to have a Strike tournament. We're definitely going to play Strike. And we're going to play Strike with our brand new board game Blitz custom dice. Oh yeah, that might change the gameplay. Oh, it's going to change everything. (laughs) I actually haven't been playing that many games this year. I've been kind of busy with work and other things. Oh, real life is always getting in the way. (laughs) Yeah. But I did get to play 18CLE recently. 18CLE, also known as 18 Cleveland. It's an 18XX game designed by Richard McGuire in 2016. It's self-published right now, so not really published, but we got to play with the designer at Gen Con and we bought the demo copy off of him and we've played it a couple times since. Wait, hold on. He's, he's sorry. He sold you his demo copy <laughs> on the spot? Yes. Like he Well, we were going to buy a different copy, but then um, I think it was cheaper to get the demo copy and we were fine with that one. Oh. So, so he was just like, sure, take the demo. Yeah, because he was going to make a new one anyway. It's, it's like okay. it's like you make it print and play like a lot of 18xx games. That's cool. <laughs> so 18 Cleveland takes place in Cleveland, like the name suggests. A couple of things make it unique from other 18xx games. One of them is that in the middle of the game, there's the Great Depression. So usually when you upgrade tiles in 18xx games, they get better and better. But in this one, in the brown phase, it gets worse and then it gets better again in the next phase. And uh, it says on the BGG also that upgrading a two-station space green to a single-station space brown removes the station marker from the board, and that simulates trolley companies shrinking during the Great Depression, I guess. So that's a historical thing in there. (laughs) So I think that's pretty interesting because although the brown is bad, it's good for planning ahead in the future because when you upgrade to brown, when it, the gray phase happens, it automatically upgrades for free. 
and otherwise you have to pay extra to get gray and gray is really good so like if you want to get really good in the future for free then you upgrade to brown and do badly a little bit for like future good stuff so are you basically like <laughs> capitalizing on the fact that the economy is in the tank is that kind of, like it kind of sounds like it well I, i'm not sure exactly why it upgrades for free i haven't read the history of that but <laughs> just a little bit it's, it's not as exciting as communism but <laughs> no. i'm sorry that joke is never gonna get old for me but another thing in 18 Sealy is that there's a government-owned railroad called the rta so with this railroad, if a company doesn't have a train after a rust phase, then instead of you having to buy a train for it, it immediately gets absorbed into the RTA. Normally in other 18xx games, you're pressured to have to get a train for the corporations you, you're president of, but it's a different pressure in this game because if you want to keep your company, you have to make sure it always has a train because otherwise it immediately goes away. Or you can try to make a company that you want to go away and like just time it well so that it goes into the RTA because then you get shares of that RTA. Also, the RTA is controlled by three different players and they aren't necessarily the ones who have the most shares in it, so they can do things to make it worse, which is actually what happened in our latest game. So in our first two games, I've played three times, the first two games, the RTA was really powerful because it's like this big thing that absorbs all these companies and has a lot of trains. But... In the last game we played, Toby was in last place, and then he did an awesome move, got the majority of the RTA, and the rest of us were like, oh no. And so we tried to make the RTA bad, we laid bad track for it, we upgraded things to brown, so it was bad for the RTA, and then it didn't have a good route, and then the RTA didn't get that many companies, and other companies were better, so Toby got behind again, <laughs> because we all like worked to make the RTA bad. So that was pretty interesting because like the game state kept changing, like whoever was in first kept changing a lot and it took a while. <laughs> it took five hours, but it was fun. But yeah, we probably won't be playing it regularly because it took five hours and we play on Friday nights. <laughs> it's so funny to me that like I've played an 18xx game with you and when you describe stuff, I still have trouble <laughs> understanding it. It's, I just, yeah. it's, it's such a a unique and foreign thing in my head. Yeah, well, it takes a few plays to understand what's going on in just one of them, I think. And then different ones have a bunch of different things that make it like very different and the strategy is very different too. So it's hard to grok. Yeah, there you <laughs> yes, go. I know that word. <laughs> and if nothing else, I love hearing how excited you get about the variations <laughs> in the different 18xx games. Like, that's so cool. Well, in somewhat surprising news to anyone who doesn't follow us on Twitter, my recently played game, Ambi, it's a Euro. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I think the, a few people probably just passed out and keeled over because what? Crystal doesn't play Euro games, and that's mostly true. But what's interesting is my normal game group that I play with on Saturday nights, they had a little text conversation going on during the week that I forgot to respond to. So they thought I wasn't going to be available. So they planned what they wanted to play. And then when I messaged them on Friday saying, hey, what are we doing tomorrow? They were like, oh, we're gonna <laughs> we were planning on playing Keeper. Uh, and I was like, well, 
I don't want to mess up your plans because I missed an earlier text. Let's do it. So Keeper is a 2017 game designed by Richard Brees and published by R&D Games. It's for two to four players. And it is the eighth game in the key series of games, which I'm sorry, I'm a word nerd. And these the whole key thing is just like, <laughs> I don't understand it. It's so silly. All of these games start with the word key. So there's like key flower and key cathedral. And oh, <laughs> it's just like, whatever. It connects them all. It, I, it makes sense from a branding perspective. But so in Keeper... It is a worker placement game where uh, all of the players each have a keeper meeple and then a number of, I'm so, I can't even say this without like smirking. They have keeples, which are, (laughs) they're not the keeper meeple. They're like meeple, the regular meeples and a special meeple is what you have. The keeper and the keeples are, and they're all different colors and in the Kickstarter edition of the game, which is what my friend has, they're actually meeple source meeples. So they actually are, have like stuff printed on them and they all look like different people. But in the regular game, I believe they're just different colors. Uh, so in the game, you use those keeples. I'm just going to say meeples going forward to uh, collect resources, acquire buildings, construct buildings and ship goods. One of the coolest parts of this game is the board is actually made up of four individual Uh, square shaped boards that fold in unique ways to make it so different resources are showing and it's kind of hard to describe I know I've seen folding puzzles that look like it before but literally you can keep folding it forever so like you fold a thing over and then you fold another thing over and then you keep going you don't have to like revert back Tom Vassell recently put out a review that shows the boards and so if people want to see what they look like it's kind of hard to explain but they what's neat is there's four different seasons which constitute the four rounds of the game and every round each player controls the layout of one of the boards so even the, you have to have the right symbol showing for the season but there's multiple configurations for each season so you get to pick what resources are available on your board one of the mechanisms that's really cool is players can join other players when they choose to do actions. So if I place my meeple down on a spot that will let me gain clay as a resource, then each player after me has the option to join me in that action. And when you join another player, you make the action stronger for both them and yourself. So... Mm. It's good and bad because you're giving the player who chose the action a benefit, but you're also gaining more things for yourself. There's a couple things that are problematic in the game. Uh, Meeple colors are kind of hard to distinguish, especially the white and gray meeples. And there's a couple other colors that can be tough. And I imagine for people who are visually impaired, it might be tough because the meeple colors matter based on where you place them. You get bonuses uh, if you match the color of the meeple to the tile you're placing it on. I also kind of didn't like that it can suffer from AP because there's a lot of different options and not just on your own turn, but choosing whether you want to join another player. You're like, oh, do I want to use my gray meeple here or do I want to save it for my turn? So the game can take, can drag on a little bit, especially with my group, which we tend to take longer (laughs) with games anyway, but it's four rounds. The the BGG entry says it's supposed to be 60 to 120 minutes. We took even longer than that. So yeah, it was, it was a long game, but it was enjoyable. It's weird. Even like this game feels really smart and really well designed, but I still don't ever see myself craving to play it. 
if I'm looking at a shelf full of games or if people bring games to game night, like if someone really wanted to play this game and they wanted to play it with me, I would be, I would be okay to do that. But if I have the option to choose a thematic game over this, I'm still going to pick the thematic game most of the mm-hmm. time. I just, the whole time I was like, oh, this is smart. It's a smart game, but there's just nothing that like draws me in. And mm-hmm. it's, I think that's why, like, I've been interested in games like potentially Dungeon Pets or Viticulture, because I feel like the theme is going to be a little bit stronger, and it helps bring those Euro mechanics to give them a little more life, so to speak. Yeah, I feel that way about a lot of Euros nowadays. Like, I tried a lot of the new ones at BGGCon and maybe Gen Con this year, I don't remember, but a lot of them just blend together because there's nothing that really stands out for me, Yeah, which is why I like the thematic ones. <laughs> I think. Yeah, and it's especially this whole like g- gaining farm resources and then building a thing and then gaining more resources <laughs> and then trading those resources for other resources. Like even if it's well designed, it's just not super compelling. But I will say, if you like Euro games and you like that style of game, this feels like a really good one. I have not played any of the other games in the key series, so I cannot compare it to any of those. <laughs> but this one, honestly, I really enjoyed it. It was good. I would recommend it. That is Keeper, spelled (laughs) K-E-Y-P-E-R. I like how you have to spell it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, all of the keys. K-E-Y. Yep. it's, It's a thing. For this week's thematic segment, we wanted to talk about cooperative games and why we like them, what is good or bad about them, and some of our favorites. Firstly, Crystal, why do you like cooperative games? I'm assuming you like them. I do like them. (laughs) That's a good assumption to make. I really enjoy cooperative games, and that's partially for me because I don't often enjoy being antagonistic in Mm -hmm. games. I don't like having to choose to attack another player or to ruin what another player is trying to do in a game. Even if that's what the game is themed around, I don't enjoy that feeling. So in a cooperative game, you never have to do that. And it's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, I'm similar. Although I'm getting better at uh, screwing people over. But (laughs) (laughs) That's a life skill that everybody needs to have, I think, at some point. Yeah, but I, I really like the camaraderie from cooperative games. You get like a shared experience. Everyone wins or loses together. And it's a similar experience for everyone. I also like escape rooms, so you get camaraderie there, like everyone's working together to do something, and then when you win, it's really awesome. So I like that feeling a lot. Yeah, the shared experience thing is something that resonates with me a lot, because (laughs) you do have competitive games sometimes where the the people walk away from the game with very different feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, someone who really, really thought they were doing well and then gets crushed in the end, like can be really disappointed and the winner could be theoretically gloating and being all like whatever. And in a cooperative game, we all just, we either won together, we lost together, it happened. (laughs) Like that's it. And then you can kind of either wallow together in misery or celebrate the epic win. Yeah. What I find really interesting is, at least in my mind, I think... When I got into hobby gaming, it kind of felt like cooperative games were an incredibly modern idea. It Mm -hmm. felt like most cooperative games or any cooperative games only existed in the past maybe 15 years in my head. And that's really not the case. There have been cooperative games for a long time. um, And they really started showing up, I think, kind of more prevalently 
about 50 years ago. Uh, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective is probably the oldest still popular cooperative game that I know of. Uh, And that's, I mean, it's still being reprinted today and it originally came out in 1979. Um, But I actually, I pulled up on Board Game Geek a list of uh, board games that have cooperative in their uh, mechanic descriptions. And there are a lot of games from the 70s or from even the 60s, the 70s and the 80s that are listed as cooperative that I've never heard of that actually sound kind of interesting. <laughs> There's one from 1978 <laughs> called back. Save the Whales. <laughs> There's one from 1980 called Time Tripper. But also a lot of RPGs have similar things to cooperative games because... It's what it's like a dungeon master against everyone else against in quotes, but they're creating a story for everyone to work together and do, I think. So That's I think true. it has that camaraderie as well. But I guess those aren't t- technically board games. <laughs> right. But there are, I mean, there are board games that kind of borrow from RPGs and mm-hmm. RPGs have kind of borrowed from board games. And then it gets into that whole thing of a lot of, uh, if you look up games on BGG, a lot of the ones that are either one versus many or mm-hmm. uh, games that have a hidden trader are also listed as cooperative games. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily consider them to be in the same group, but they are yeah. similar in nature, especially a game like Dead of Winter, which is technically a hidden trader game. But technically, if you play by the rules, there could be no trader. So then it is fully mm-hmm. cooperative. But then for that one person who is the trader, if there is one, then it's not cooperative for them. So I also don't really consider that cooperative because yeah. there's one person who's not. <laughs> and then that person's sad. That person <laughs> is sad. Unless they win and then or they're happy. happy. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone else is sad. <laughs> We put a call out on our social media pages and on our Board Game Geek Guild asking you all for a a couple different questions regarding cooperative games, like what some of your favorite lesser known co-ops are, or why you like cooperative games, and holy cow, y'all came through in spades. So Mm -hmm. many good responses. So just up front... Amazing, amazing responses. Everybody should go look at them, especially like the ones in the Board Game Geek Guild, because those will be easy to find. But we're not going to be able to discuss all of them on the show because this would turn into a really long episode. So (laughs) thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everybody who responded. If we don't mention your comment here, that doesn't mean we didn't love it because we had so many good ones. One of them was Louis Likes Gaming on Instagram said, Despite being someone who enjoys the competitive nature of Euro games, what I love is that co-op games can bring people together over a shared puzzle. I love bringing out Hanabi, Magic Maze, or even Pandemic at the end of game nights so that we can leave the night feeling accomplished. If we win, of course. <laughs> I, I think that's that's like a good benefit of cooperative games, like we were saying, the shared camaraderie. So you'll all leave game night happy or sad together. <laughs> I mean, that's what we all want, is to leave game night sad together. (laughs) That's why Uh, you bring out a hard cooperative But that theme was definitely prevalent in a lot of the comments we received Mm -hmm. as to why people like co-ops, is that that feeling of togetherness. Mm -hmm. Over on our Board Game Geek Guild, we had a comment from Corey Neeland. He says that cooperative games are his favorite style of game for two reasons. One, it allows non-confrontational players to easily slide into a game without fear of having to go after another player or have that done to them. And two, everyone wins or loses together, which we had kind of already discussed. It's a great team building experience, like escape rooms. And (laughs) it's also great to teach kids teamwork. And I think that's a good Hmm. point as well, because I think 
you want to be able to teach kids how to be good winners and good losers. And in a competitive mm-hmm. game, sometimes there's hard feelings, but they still get the act of winning or losing potentially without the hard feelings. So that was those were some good points, Corey. And we had some people on Instagram who actually don't like co-op games. One of them is Board Games CO, who said, I used to like them a lot more than I do now. I've realized I'm the alpha in the group, so I have to be a bit more picky about the co-ops I play to make sure I can't be guilty of it anymore. One of the reasons Gloomhaven is so incredible for me. So I think that's interesting because they realize that they're the alpha and that they quarterback and that makes cooperative games worse. That's one of the things that can be bad about cooperative games is alpha gaming or someone doing all the moves for the rest of the group. But there are some cooperative games that help not have that, like real-time games, which I really like. (laughs) You can't control the action if it's moving too fast for them to keep up with. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit, like, my husband is actually pretty bad about the quarterbacking or the alpha game thing when he plays cooperative games with Mm -hmm. me or others, because truthfully, he's a really smart guy, and if he believes something is the right or the best thing to do, it's really hard for him to sometimes let that feeling go and let other people make a decision on their turn. So he doesn't play a lot of cooperative games, although he and I have had a lot of fun with Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Although we've had moments just with the two of us where, like, we're picking (laughs) what... No spoilers, don't worry, but we'll we'll be picking, you know, from an, a bunch of options and I'll want one thing and he'll want another and he will not relent sometimes. <laughs> so I have to eventually say, okay, you can pick for this game. And in the next game, when we get to pick the same kinds of things, I'm picking the next thing. And that works out well. Back over on our board game Geek Guild, James, uh, his username Evil Jello Man said that one of the things that he loves about cooperative games is that they can get more risky with mechanisms without risking the game becoming too fragile. And I read that and I was kind of like, what? But he actually makes some good points here. For example, in a game like Escape the Curse of the Temple, the way the dice can lock up would be really tough in a competitive game, and it would be easy to get forgetful and accidentally cheat while rolling and re-rolling your dice, since it's simultaneous and real-time, And the odds that somebody else would catch it are small. But if it happens in a competitive game, somebody's getting an advantage and winning over the other players. Mm -hmm. Well, if it happens in a co-op, it's much less of a big deal because no player is being hurt by it. And I actually, there was another comment somewhere else in our board, Game Geek Guild, that mentioned that as well. So yeah, similarly, Michael McCallan mentioned that he's actually had problems with people cheating in co-op games Uh, saying things like, the rules don't say that I can't do this certain thing. That kind of applies to our discussions about Magic Maze recently. (laughs) And, but yeah, like cheating in a co-op game kind of, he said it feels like a victimless crime. And that's kind of true because the game is what you're cheating. Maybe we should look at it like you're cheating the game designer out of the experience they intended you to have. And maybe that'll keep people from cheating in a co-op. Well, he has in parentheses that they're wrong. We're the victims. You're cheating yourselves by oh, yeah. playing the game wrong, right? Yeah, like you're so. taking away from the experience that you should have with a game. But I do, I, I've had even personal, like I'm not a person who wants to cheat at a game. And there are moments when like you're so close to a thing and you just <laughs> like you wish you could yeah. just do something just to oh, it's right there. And like ghost stories is a good example of that. Holy cow is ghost stories hard. And (laughs) like, we've come so close to beating Wu Fang at the end and just, ugh, and you lose. And it's, 
Or time stories, and then you have to do the loop again. Oh my gosh, that is literally, yes, when you're like so close to the end of a cycle, and then you have to go all the way back and do all of it again, that can be really frustrating. Yeah. About the uh, risky with mechanisms, another thing is you can have mechanisms that, or for me, I don't like certain mechanisms in competitive games, like dice rolling and a lot of randomness, and I'm a lot... I like them a lot better in cooperative games because if you roll the dice poorly, then everyone is suffering together <laughs> instead of like one person doing badly and everyone else gets good stuff. Do you, this happens to me sometimes and I'd be curious whether it happens to you. Do you ever weirdly get bummed out when someone else's bad luck is causing you to lose in a cooperative game? Like in that, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> well- even if it's not their fault, like if it's a draw of a card or a dice roll, do you ever get that feeling that like, oh my gosh, like Johnny is messing up the game. He just can't roll at all. I've had that moment in time stories when someone's rolling poorly like over and over again. I almost start feeling mad at them. Not like actually mad, obviously, but my I'll, I'll shout out my buddy Greg because I love him to death. But like occasionally he rolls really poorly and I'm just like, Greg, what are you doing? It's not his fault. Like, obviously. um, So I think you shouldn't play any cooperative games with me because I roll really poorly. No, that's the thing. I still enjoy those experiences and I'm not like a jerk about it. I obviously like I would only make comments like that to somebody I know very well. And Greg and I play a lot of games together. So I would never actually be mad at him. But there are days where I'm just like, please, please roll not a blank. Please. Yeah. Well, once I had like 10 dice in Arkham Horror to roll and I got no successes. Oh, man, that's the worst. And you and you kind of feel like you're letting down the group, which can also like that can be a bummer, even if it is something that's luck related. If you're not pulling your weight in a cooperative game, I think that can make people feel a little guilty, which is interesting. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Over on Twitter, we asked people what their favorite lesser known cooperative games were. And we had a lot of really interesting suggestions. I'm going to try and run through them fairly quickly because we have a lot, but I wanted to mention some of them. So Hammond said Freedom, the Underground Railroad, which is Mm -hmm. a challenging puzzle and uh, has some historical background to it. James said Mino and Tari, which is a delightful little real-time co-op game about navigating a maze on a two-sided screen with pieces connected via magnets. That sounds awesome, and I want to try it. Yeah, I really want to try that one. Evan S. mentioned Okie Dokie, which is a card game that I actually have played. And it's kind of similar to the game. If you've heard of that mm-hmm. one, I actually think Okie Dokie is better. And some other people on Twitter uh, expressed similar sentiments. I actually like the game better, I think. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I felt like Okie Dokie had more randomness. Okay. But I don't know. Maybe it was the player count. That's possible. I only played it two player. Oh, see, and I've only played it four. So... <laughs> Uh, of Dyson Men mentioned Healthy Heart Hospital and Black Orchestra. And I like the shout out to Black Orchestra. I've played that one and I really enjoy it. Very dark theme and can be potentially tough for some people to deal with. It's uh, about assassinating Hitler. So that's pretty dark. But the Cardboard Kid actually mentioned something interesting where they actually took a game that wasn't cooperative and made it cooperative by modifying the rules. So mm. Battle at Kimball's Cascade is one that they, they removed some of the stuff from the game and made it co-op. 
Every Night is Game Night mentioned a whole bunch, including The Banishing, Beasts of Balance, and then we held hands, Orléans with the Invasion expansion, and a few others, including Paperback, which this is interesting because I love Paperback, and I've still never played it cooperatively. It's in the normal rulebook as an option, and I've never done it, and I don't know why I need to do that. Uh, and Becky from Board Games in Bed actually said that Paperback as a co-op is the best way to play Paperback, so clearly I'm missing out there. Over at Me- Our friends over at Meeple Overboard said that they're fans of the DC Comics deck-building game Crisis Expansion. They say it's underrated compared to Legendary Marvel, and I that must be true because I don't know much about it. Rachel mentioned a couple of games, Ravens of Three, Sahashri, which Ambi recently covered on the show, and Argonauts. Bearded Rogue mentioned Fire of Eidolon, which I don't actually know much about that, so I'm going to have to look into that. Alan Kingsley thinks Police Precinct is underrated. Micah Liebert says Battle for Greyport has been a big hit with him and his wife. There are so many, (laughs) like a bunch of these I haven't heard of. Yeah, there was a lot that people named that either I know very little about or didn't know about at all. So Mm -hmm. that was awesome. Thank you all for contributing on all of our social media pages. We, so much information. Honestly, I think we could probably talk about cooperative games for another two episodes easily. And who knows, maybe we'll bring it back at some point because we haven't even really discussed which games we like and... We won't. We don't need to mention our favorites. I like We've, all the co-ops. They're all my favorites, equally. Yeah, we were running out of time, <laughs> no, so not. we like a lot of cooperative games. Maybe we'll discuss some specific ones in an upcoming episode. Maybe we could do yeah. a top ten list of cooperative games. Maybe. That feels like a list that we might be able to do. Yeah, but I do like real-time cooperative games. That's like its own category. I have a whole shelf of them. You could make a list of real-time <laughs> cooperative games for sure. <laughs> For this week's etymology segment, I'm going to look at the history of the word cooperation. The English noun cooperation came into use in the late 15th century and finds its roots in a Middle French word of the exact same spelling that I'm not going to butcher the pronunciation of. But let's butcher the pronunciation of another word, shall we? Because it can also be tied back to the late Latin words cooperationem and cooperatio, which meant working together. The Latin pieces that make up those words include com, meaning with, and operari, meaning to work, and are paired with the Proto-Indo-European root op, which meant to work or produce in abundance. So the next time you're itching to work together and produce some fun in abundance, consider pulling out a cooperative game and employ some cooperation. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Have you heard us talk in the past about how much we love deception, murder, and Hong Kong? Well, we're excited to announce that the new expansion, Undercover Allies, is releasing in stores today. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow, technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, we game together like Ramma Lama Lama, dong Bye, everyone! Bye! Should I say that I haven't been playing that many games, or is that...
No, I don't think that's, or sorry, I meant no, you, (laughs) yes, you should mention it. No, it's not a bad thing is what my brain was was processing there. We can't admit our weaknesses. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's a great setting to teach others a new game without having to concern them with getting attacked. I'm just going to start over because I stumbled (laughs) through half of that. (sighs) 